You may not know, but uh, the weeks following 10 years ago, uh, church attendance spiked in the millions. People flooded to churches to be in different faith organizations, not just even Christian churches, but people flooded looking for answers. And you may not know this, but uh, it took a while for them to put together, I guess, the stats, but somewhere over 100,000 people came to know the Lord because of their connection again with faith. And so, whereas we never delight in what happened 10 years ago, and we look back, as I'm sure you do with the images, and just are transported back, we can give God great glory in knowing that 100,000 people came to know Him with an opportunity to spend eternity with Him in the aftermath. God truly reigns, even despite these situations. Well, let's change gears. We're going to talk about families this morning. So if you have the card that was there, if you would just uh, grab that card and and uh, we're going to walk through it. There's pens right in front of you, and uh, we're going we're gonna to just talk about uh, familyness. You know, over the next four weeks, uh, you're going to hear everything we talk about in family through your own filters. Did you know that? As we talk about family, you have your own family filter that you will start processing things through in this. For some of you, the topic of family stirs up painful memory, painful memories of past events or past relationships. And so as soon as the word family comes up, you're thinking, I sure hope this is not one of those rosy sermons because you've dealt with something difficult. Some are single and they they wish they were married. I mean, you're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright out there, sometimes daily. Some of you are married and um, you're wishing you were single. Uh, We don't advocate that. Uh, We can talk afterwards. Some, uh, Some of you are couples and you don't have children and you would love to have children. And for some reason or another, the Lord has not opened up that avenue, and it's been painful for you. Some of you have broken relationships with family members, haven't talked to them for years, or maybe it's just the occasional happy birthdays that are thrown in there, but there's not much in the word of relationship going on. Some of you in a group this size have even experienced some unthinkable betrayal and abuse in your family. And you interpret every day of your life through the events that happened. You know, it is impossible for us to hit every single person in a family scenario if we start to to talk through some model of family. But it it is possible if we would deal with how God wants us to interact as family members or in relationships, period. And so we'll be looking at that over the next four weeks. I thought uh, we probably shouldn't learn from my immense... uh, experience as a father or a family man since uh, my kids are small and there's things that even though I was a youth pastor I just don't understand about teenage kids, grown-up kids, kids that are out of the house and those type of things. So it probably is a better idea for us to look at God's Word and walk through the Scriptures. So let's begin with the very first family recorded in history. You remember this family? The very first, Adam and Eve, uh, come on the scene and they're the first husband and wife. It's how God has created them and has established them. And of course, they're known for a pretty famous incident, the fall, where they were the first ones that actually walked away from the plan that God had for them. We call that, of course, the fall. And we sometimes say all this mess we deal with came from that point. And so uh, they had a a first child, Cain, and then uh, came along a second child, Abel. And we find in the very first family that one son was so angry with the second son that he actually rose up and killed him. Do you remember this story? 
this is the first family of Scripture. It didn't go so well from the very beginning. Now, I have two older brothers. Or excuse me, I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. I call myself the smaller brother because my younger brother is 6'1", and my, uh, excuse me, my older brother is 6'1", my younger brother is 6'4". Um, I'm 5'8 and a half. I like to make sure I get in the half. I'm not sure what, uh, what happened with me there, but we fought. We had fights. Have you fought with your brothers? You know what I'm talking about? And I never really won any of those fights, but I was the fastest in my family, and so there was often times where I was able to sprint and get into the bathroom and lock the door and then hang out in the bathroom. I learned at a young age I needed to store, like, you know, some comic books, a few toys, some things to look at there in the restroom under the sink because I may end up there if mom and dad were not home and I would hang out there until they got home. As brutal as some of those, as some of those fights were, none of us ever raised up and actually killed one another despite trying. It never happened. And that is what the first family uh, experience, the first family in God's creation. And so if you look in God's word and you start in generous, you're going to see four generations of families that struggled, difficulties, favoritism, all kinds of stuff, difficulty. In fact, if you look in God's word and you look from a narrative standpoint, it's hard to find a lot of families that really nailed it well. There's a lot of good parenting uh, scriptures in place, a lot of good family scriptures or relational scriptures that we can take and we can use. Uh, one of the more famous ones that you might know, Proverbs 22.6, says, start your children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. You familiar with that one? That's a great parenting scripture. If you're a parent and you're thinking, you know, I need to keep endure, I need to press on, I need to keep teaching, even the times when the, I get the call from the principal and they're in trouble and I'm thinking, what, we did not teach that, just keep teaching them. That's an encouraging scripture. It doesn't necessarily answer some of the questions we have uh, in our, our heads sometimes, like what is the best curfew? Uh, what should I do if they show up late from that curfew? What do I do when I, they talk back to me? Uh, what, what, is spanking okay? Those type of things, we don't always find a great narrative in Scripture that answers all of our questions. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is not often used to discuss family situations, but I think it's the one that can help us the most. So take a look. If you have your, your Bible, 1 Timothy three fourteen through 17. Now I'm going to read it for you this morning, and then we're going to kind of step off it, and we'll, we'll go over it the next three weeks. But this morning, we're going to teach uh, something different as we build a foundation of what we're going to talk about. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. says this, But you must remain faithful to the things that I, you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know that, they, that you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And so that will be our focus on the next week. And you can notice the theme in that passage is that when we are taught the Scriptures and we are taught the way that we should go, we develop this ability to discern between right and wrong and what we should do. And so we'll be looking at that over the next four weeks. But this week I thought, you know, many of us think, well, you know, my family is good. 
And I thought, well, let's take a little bit of time to walk through and to really evaluate and ask the question, how is my family? So if you take a look at your card and you flip that to the back side, you'll notice some numbers and some lines on there. Let me just take a moment to explain that. Basically, we're going to take this, this card and we're... <laughs> my board is all the way over here, so <laughs> that's... Okay, um, We're going to take this card, and if you look at this, we're going to walk down these seven items, traits of a healthy family. And as we look at these traits of a healthy family, you're going to be able to just do a... a oh, well, thank you, Jesse. That's very kind of you. So I didn't even have to ask, and he jumps right on it. That's very kind. So we're going to take a look at this, and you'll notice there's a line that looks just like this with a circle on a circle, and then you've got a zero, a center line, and a ten. You basically, you're just going to take this... And as you look at it, you're going to ask yourself, how well are we doing in my family in these areas? Now, I said at the beginning, we can't hit every family model in here this morning. But nonetheless, there's something you can take and receive from this, even if you're thinking in terms of relationships or close relationships in your life. Now, I'm going to ask that nobody just comes up and throws a number five in the middle and says, because, you know, that's probably just laziness. Uh, in that, just mark in the middle and not give any effort. Wrestle for a second with what you want to put down. Now, you're, it's pr close proximity to your neighbors, and you may feel like, well, I'm a little nervous about putting something down next to you. That's okay. Just remember it in your head. We're not collecting these or turning this in. There's no grading on these or extra credit or anything like that. This is just for you to walk through and evaluate. What does my family look like? How is my family really doing? So if you get over here and you think, man, we're really tracking well in this area, I think we're doing all right. We're over here in this area. Or you say, well, you know, we've got some struggles here. And uh, just mark yourself down somewhere in there. Does it make sense? Good. Now, it will be uh, of, of no benefit to you this morning to just uh, lie on it. So uh, let's take a little pledge to start. So um, you're with me? All right. Just follow after me. All right. I solemnly pledge to not lie on this. All right, very good. Now, some of you didn't take that pledge. You just kind of sat there and you stared at me. So, all right, well, let's jump into it and talk about traits of a healthy family uh, this morning. So if you would grab your card and we'll go. The first one you'll see on there is this word irrational love irrational love. Now, we know what irrational means, right? Especially those of us who are parents of young ones, we understand irrational. It's when it's uh, crazy, erratic. It doesn't quite make sense. That's irrational. Attach it to the word love, irrational love. It means that this love for somebody and this care for somebody that it doesn't even quite make sense. Why would we love that person to that level? Just recently, uh, we had three ladies in the church that had babies. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. You know, I was so familiar with that hospital. It was awesome. I was able to know right where I was going. And I really appreciated that you had rooms like right next to each other because uh, that was very, very helpful. That baby popped out, right? And that mom and dad, in an instant, had irrational love for that child. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. You knew the child all of two or three seconds when irrational love took over, and yet you had it. You know it. You understand. You go to the altar, and you stand at the front, in front of a pastor, in front of God, and, and you make these vows, and you turn and you walk down the aisle, and I've never really seen a husband and wife walk down the aisle uh, after this vow and this kiss, um, 
some prolonged kisses up at front and walk away and just be like, well, that was cool, that was all right. It's this joy, this irrational love. I love this person. more. Any of these people I'm walking past, walking out of the church, it's this person I have this love for. Irrational love. You could call it this kind of love. It's love for just showing up. Just showing up. And we have that type of love in our family. If we can have that for every family member, man, we are tracking on something pretty healthy in our family setups. Recently, there's a commercial that's been on the TV, and I was able to kind of capture it, and I want you to take a look at it this morning. Okay, kids, we can record one more show. Who should get it? Well, I really love Jennifer. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Kyle's got that thick head of hair. And that should be rewarded. Okay, moment of truth. On three, say which kid you love the most. Ooh, fun, yeah. One, two, three, Jennifer. Jennifer. Whoa. Oh. Ah, so pretty. Yeah. Or we give it to Kyle. Switch to AT&T U-verse and record four shows all right. at the same time. You know, that's, a, that's hysterical in a commercial. Um, in fact, I think I've already said that that might be my favorite commercial out there right now, the, just the awkwardness and, and the, the good actors that, that just do it perfect. Man, that is not funny in our families. And you can sit and you can talk to people that have spent the lives in their families and they're grown adults and they could tell you stories on how that was true and real in their family. It's not irrational love. That we love just because of who you are and you just showed up and we love you. I'm amazed sometimes when I hear about families that have adopted somebody into their family and I look and I say, this is irrational love that they have for this adopted person into their family. The, the mom didn't carry for nine months and endure all that physical, yet this irrational love still comes into play, meaning you can choose it as well. This irrational love. Do you know who the author of irrational love is? Makes sense. It's God. In fact, we find in the most famous verse in the Bible, you can't even go to a sporting event without somebody holding up a sign with the, the address to this verse. The first part of the verse of John 3.16 simply says, for God so loved the world he gave. God so loved that God displayed his love, his irrational love for us, that he is about to do something, and we know that that's something in him giving his son to us. Read your Old Testament. Walk through the Old Testament, and how many times did humanity just fail God, turn from God, forget you, God, I'll do my own thing? How many times did they fall into captivity and then God rescued them and it just seemed like in the next chapter they were right back to doing something against God over and over and over. And yet, here in the New Testament, in one of the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, we get this reference, God so loved the world. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. It's why you see somebody just over and over loving somebody even if they failed them many, many times. It's this irrational love. In our families, this is the place it has to happen. This is the place where it is not an option to have to have this type of love. Sometimes I'll take my boys to the window, usually when it's a time that they have said something to each other that is uh, not what we wanted to say. Um, does that ever happen in your family? I'm not the only kids huh, that do that. And so we take them to the window, and every once in a while I've, I've taken them and I've said, look outside the window. You see out there? That's not a safe world out there. You'll deal with difficulties. You'll deal with name-calling. You'll deal with people that don't care for you or love for you. You'll deal with people that, that have very little thought 
for what you are feeling or what you're thinking. It can never happen in here. It can never happen inside of here. This irrational love has to flow through our house. Downstairs, upstairs, every room, it has to flow through our house. And so irrational love. How are you doing on that? If you were to look at your chart over here and you think of your family, is it clear in your family, every family member understands, I am so loved. Not the, at the end of the day when push comes to shove, they love me, but it is clear at all times, I know I am loved. Did you grow up in that type of family where you just understood that type of love? I didn't grow up in an incredibly physically affectionate family. Not a lot of hugging and kissing and, you know, we did some handshaking, but uh, not a lot of that. But it was clear in our family we were loved. We were loved. How are you doing on that? Be honest with yourself. If you tell yourself, man, you know, I love my kids, but I'm not sure they understand the level of my love. I'm not sure they understand that it's, it's love just by showing up and not by earning. Well, let's, let's move on. The second one is this. It's, it's communicate well. Communicate well. It's, it's how well do we speak to each other? How well do we talk to each other about things like what's going on? And how kind do we speak to each other? Did you know that selfishness can show up in just verbal terms far more than anywhere else. Selfishness pops up. I was out walking with Cherie last week. I told you we've been walking in the mornings, and we were out walking one morning, and uh, I, you know, I, I was in a little bit of ornery mood uh, in the morning, as happens sometimes, and uh, um, I, I said something, and, and uh, uh, it was something that she wanted to, uh, let's just say she wanted to rebuttal, uh, what I'd said, and I decided from that point that uh, uh, at that point in the morning with, with less reason going on in my head that I would just say what I wanted to say after that. And so we're walking along, and, and I say it, and I just blurt it out, you know, something like, you know, you got to get over it or something, you know, something crazy like that. And it was, uh, it was when a second or two I was uh, no longer walking uh, with her. Uh, I was <laughs> walking by myself. She was running now down the path, probably working off a little frustration that I had just caused um, and it took a little while for me to catch up to her because I was still in stubborn mode and I will not be running. So uh, in the end, the issue came down to communicate. I just felt like I'm just going to say what I want to say here. I don't really care how you receive this and what happens here. It wasn't that I, I thought there was a problem with saying something. It was a matter of how I felt I was going to treat my spouse at that moment in my communication So communicate well. We're not talking about post-it notes on the refrigerator door that highlight all the activities that are coming up so everybody knows what time to be in the car. You ever fight that battle? Oh, yeah, yeah. You ever sit in the car alone? So resist the horn, all right? From experience, I can tell you. Don't push it. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about how well you interact how well you talk to one another, how, how you care for somebody in your speech. I came across this passage a few years back when I was listening to a sermon and it was said, and I went home and I spent time looking at this in my own devotions. This is a powerful scripture. Take a look at it, Matthew 12:36. But I tell you that everyone will, ha- will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Another passage says every kind word unspoken. That's a pretty powerful scripture. How serious 
is the business of caring for somebody in the way we communicate. Where do you think this communication really begins in our home? It begins with mom and dad. It begins with parents. Because, as we talked before, the most dominant influence on your children's life is you. Positive and negative, it is you. And so the way we interact, the way we communicate, is the way our kids will communicate with each other. Men, the way you treat your wife with your words is the way your son is going to treat his future wife. Guaranteed. They pick this up and they roll with it. Unless God were to intervene in another way, they receive this. And so we have something to model. We have something to share with our kids in the way we interact and the way we communicate. Many of you know I youth pastored for about 16 years uh, before I left and was, was coaching baseball and then came here. And in that time, I remember one specific night when I needed to get out of the youth room pretty quick afterwards. And, and usually we would leave the youth center open a couple hours and we would spend time you know, talking to teens and issues would come up and we'd always be preaching a, a really practical word from God's word. And so they would come and they would talk. And I remember one night I needed to get out of there and I said, you know, guys, I got to go. We have to lock up. Um, I'm the only adult here, so you guys are going to have to head out. Do you think, and this is what I said, do you think you could just go home and talk to your parents about this one? And you had never seen such a, a, a crazy response from them. Our parents? <laughs> you think if I could talk to my parents, I'd be sitting here waiting in line to talk to you here as the youth center is open? And it's like 10 o'clock at night or so that the youth center is open, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I'd been youth pastoring a number of years, and it just impressed on me. These teenagers could not talk to their parents about issues. And it's not like we were talking about, you know, sex that night and those type of things. I mean, we were just talking. I can't remember the topic. And they said, no, we can't talk to our parents. And I remember going home, and I've wanted to ingrain it in my head that I want to communicate well with my kids. I don't want my kids standing in a two-hour line someday waiting to talk to another adult. I want to be able to talk to my kids and communicate well with my kids. And God models some of that in Scripture and can help us, and we'll be talking more about that in the next couple of weeks. Let's move on. Well, let me ask, how are you doing on that? Look at your chart and ask yourself, how well do you communicate? It's okay to score yourself three or four if you want to be honest before God. That's okay. God will take that starting point and he'll work on you from here. Let's look on. Celebrate uniqueness is the third one. You know how maybe it's God's sense of humor or his playfulness on how he can get people that are just totally different and he can build them into the same household and they have to live together year in and year out. Do you have anyone in your home that's different than you? Maybe it's your spouse. You don't have to speak. You don't have to point here. This is, pointing is not necessary. Yeah, it's amazing how different people in our homes are. God says it this way in, in Psalm 139. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That we are designed and made. That word wonderfully often is connected with the word in Scripture, unique and so that we are unique in that wonderfully made. We're different. This shows up in all kinds of ways in our house, right? I mean, you can hardly decide on what TV show to watch in your house because everyone needs to watch a little bit different show. Maybe it's going out to a restaurant. I know like TC, TC could take a hot dog most days. 
Uh, and where we go, Sierra, she uh, enjoys spaghetti or chicken nuggets. Uh, so we've got to have that. And James wants something hot because he likes the hot wings, hot stuff. Sheree loves Mexican food. She's winning out today. So um, that's a gracious husband. I just want cheap. So uh, I'll choose them all. Uh, but in the end, I would just like it to be really cheap. So um, that's fine with me. This uniqueness in our families is nothing to fight about. It's something to celebrate. That when we look, we, d- we know that God has designed us all so incredibly unique. And without that uniqueness, we live in this narrow-minded, selfish type of setup. But God has given you unique qualities in your family, and he wants us to interact that way and care for each other. We, every, once in a while, we, we try to accentuate one of the uniquenesses uh, in our kids. Now, sometimes that uniqueness is also something another day that we're fussing at them uh, about, <laughs> you know. But uh, we like to say, hey, you know, that about you is, is just, that's neat. TC, when he latches on to something, you know, forget about it. It's like he's a bulldog. Now, it might take a long, long time for him attached onto the thing that I would like him to attach onto. But once he attaches, he is like a bulldog. I would love for God to use that unique quality. I would love for God to use that quality to teach the other five of us in our family because we don't have it to the same degree that it's ingrained in TC. It's this uniqueness. As we say that, I mean, the names and the, and the qualities are popping through your head already in your family. Here's the question. How well do you celebrate those? Do you celebrate those? Do you let them know? Or is the differences only a time when it shows up when there's a punishment or a struggle or you're frustrated or you're like, why can't you celebrate those uniquenesses because God will use them. He wouldn't want to use them if he didn't make us as unique as he's made us. So take your chart. How well are you doing on that? Does your family really celebrate those? Or is it times in your family, if you look back, do you think, man, I think we get into a narrow feel of wanting all four, five, six, whatever it is, to be very cookie cutter. It's not how God has designed us. Mark that down and maybe that's something to discuss a little bit later in your family. Let's look at the next one. Uh, It's this one. It's called common belief. This is an interesting uh, thing here because if in your family you are just indignant that you will not wear hats inside your home. Anybody have that that feeling of, you know, hats in home is a big, big no-no? I know you're not one to raise it, but I can see it on your face already, the ones that that's a big deal. Well, when you ingrain that in your child, if your kid walks in with a hat, or if somebody else walks in with a hat, you either kindly or directly with your kids probably tell them, you know, remove the hat, right? And, and that's something you ingrain in them over and over and over again. But often in my experience in, in youth ministry, what I would see is when a, when a young uh, uh, adolescent, somewhere around 11, 12, 13 years old, when they start to develop and they get to the point where they're asking questions um, in this, this is a good thing, parents when they start asking questions, we often step back and say, I'm going to let them figure out the faith thing on their own and decide if they'll follow this or not follow this. And we step back from teaching them these type of things. We wouldn't step back from it if it was a hat issue, right? We would say, at 14 years old, I need you to take that hat. 17, I need you to take that hat off. In our families, we often allow our family members to be set up in different belief systems from a very early age. And the Bible says this about that 
Jesus is, is involved in this story where he says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. When it comes to faith issues, don't get me wrong, God wants our hearts, our individual hearts. If you have a 12-year-old, 14-year-old, 11-year-old, God wants their individual hearts. He wants them to surrender themselves in front of him. But remember, it's not just like all of a sudden one day they can feel like, oh, I'm an adult mentality and I surrender before God. It's a progressive day after day after day as they understand more and more about God and more and more about their Christian faith. Never stop teaching it to them. Never stop instructing them in the way that this is our house and this is what we want to believe as a family. This is what we follow because God's word, word says it. Joshua 24:15 on the bottom of your card says it this way, a famous verse. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The, the parents here and Joshua in the, in, in the Bible here just made it very clear that I want my house to be a house that honors God's word and serves God. And so parents, don't stop teaching that. Encourage them in that. As they become adolescents and they become high schoolers, allow them to start sharing how they're feeling or what they're thinking and ask them questions that allow them to bring out maybe even the struggles they're having in faith. But keep teaching it. Keep putting them in environments where this common belief system can be at their core. There's a family we know uh, in Arizona. And as I look at this family, I often say, it is amazing how incredibly grounded in God's word and as believers this family is. Four children. Three children are grown and now married with, with a couple of them with children of their own. And it's amazing because this family decided we're going to have a common belief system and this is what we're going to share. In the verse that we read before, train up the child on the way they, they go, in Matthew, or in Proverbs 22, comes into play. How are you doing on that? Is it part of your, your daily interaction with your family to talk about belief things? Is it part of your, your family beyond the hour on Sunday morning to engage in spiritual conversation? to ask, you know, how were you able to be a blessing for somebody at school today? Do you have these type of conversations uh, throughout? Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe they're grown and out. Um, what's the avenue that you have when, when your kids are home to, to talk with them and to share with them or to, to teach into them for their own kids to bring up? This key, even though it's fourth on our, our list here, is so incredibly central that we bring them up with a common belief. And let's look on our next one here instill responsibility instill responsibility I'm going to be honest with you for a second um, I don't want a dog in our house um, those of you who have been pawning dogs off on me just back off uh, I don't want a dog in our house um, not just because you know dogs run around and sometimes dogs make message but man I just don't want to tackle the responsibility issue uh, or the teaching of responsibility issue that I have with my kids because I know that bowl will be empty of food, um, the poop will be all over the yard, um, and the doors will be left open with the air conditioner on, and dogs running in and out. I just know I can visualize all this stuff, so I've been frightful to ever bring a dog into our home. This point here on five is just instilling responsibility. That our job as parents is to instill responsibility. Our job in family, whether it's small kids, grown kids, it's to teach and to help every individual person within the family to be responsible for what they need to be responsible. Remember the passage we read, 
Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way they should go, that we train them to be responsible. I can remember a time, speaking of pets, when I was uh, young and we had a dog. Sissy uh, was our name, I believe. And uh, that dog would run here or there. This was in Georgia, and we had no fences in the side of our yard. So if the dog ran, the dog ran, and the dog was gone. And since I was of, of an age where I couldn't cruise the neighborhood alone, my parents would be the one that would have to run after this dog. And I can remember us going to the store and getting one of those stakes with the big string on it, and you had to attach it to your dog. And I remember going in the backyard, and it was our job, my younger brother and I, to nail the thing in the ground. And it was too hard. We couldn't get it into the ground. So we left it, and we just went on, and the dog ran away. And my parents got the dog. My dad got the dog. We were back in the backyard, and I told my dad, I remember saying, it's, just, it's, too, it's too hard. The ground's too hard. I can't get it. And he went and got a hammer, and he put a hammer next to it, and he got his lawn chair off the patio, and he put his lawn chair next to it, he sat in the lawn chair, and he said, I could sit here all day and just watch you pound it into the ground. And he did, and we pounded it. And, you know, it only took about 10 pounds uh, to get into the ground. But it was an instilling of responsibility. This is yours. You need to take care of it. It's one thing with a, a pet, but think about the lessons that we can help and teach our kids or our family members as they grow and things that they can avoid if we teach responsibility, how to manage money, how to make wise decisions on what we purchase, how to make wise decisions in who we date and who we marry, all those type of things, instilling responsibility. And then there's the time when we do make messes and we blow it and we mess up, and coming along and saying, hey, I love you, irrational love, remember, it's still there, but you've got to take the heat for this. You've got you to gotta take what's coming to you on this, and we'll walk and we'll, we'll be with you on it, but instilling responsibility. We listened to uh, a message years back called Love and Limits, and it transformed what I was thinking. Bill Hybels, in teaching this, it tells us quite simply that we love irrationally, but we set limits, not in our love, but we set limits in what we will do because of our love. And so uh, in this, we're talking about instilling responsibility that, that we set these limits saying you're responsible to get that done and to do that. And it's a trait of a healthy family. How are you doing on that? I know, parents, sometimes it's easier just to do it yourself, right? Just, I'll vacuum it, you know, after their fourth attempt. You know, I'll pick that up, I'll do that. Instilling responsibility. I would love to say I've mastered this, follow my example, and you'll be great. But I struggle just the same in this. But it's a trait of a healthy family. In fact, if I had my chart, I'll be vulnerable. It'd probably be down, and I said I couldn't use five. So uh, 5.1, uh, probably, you know, instilling one moment and then taking care of it the next. Let's, let's look at one uh, briefly, the next one, and it's this issue of playing together, playing together. Do you uh, enjoy being with your family? It's okay in your head to say no. Um, we have part of our family where it's great to be there a whole week, hang out, do whatever, stay, you know, stay one bedroom away in each other's house. And we have other where, you know, a, a two and a half days would be just fine, you know. Even further, one afternoon lunch would be okay, and, and we can move along. We understand. But God has designed the family as a place where we can enjoy one another and play together. Do you know that uh, God is an incredibly playful God? He really is. 
We often think of God on the throne as a very serious, staunch judge, and then Jesus is a very, you know, kind of passive guy with a lamb uh, around his shoulders and the children are sitting on, on his lap. But God is incredibly playful. We even find it in his scripture. We have this passage after Jesus has gone to the cross and he's resurrected, and some people know this and other people don't at this time, and Jesus is walking with these two guys on the road to Emmaus is what it's called in Scripture, and as he's walking along on this road, uh, these guys, they don't even recognize that this is Jesus. They're coming back from Jerusalem where all the events had uh, just occurred, the crucifixion and all of this, and they don't even recognize this Jesus, and they're walking along, and they're talking about what has happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus, walking with them down the path, go, uh, what are you guys talking about? And they say, well, we're talking about all the things that have gone on in Jerusalem. And then Jesus follows it up and says, what things? <laughs> what things are you talking about? I mean, these are his things. <laughs> he was the one that went to the cross. And he's walking with these guys saying, Yo, wh- yeah, what, are you, uh, what things are you talking about? Oh, really? Huh, that's interesting. And they have this conversation, and they're walking and talking. I mean, you can see in Scripture stories like that, and there's others where Jesus has this playfulness about him, this playfulness. And then they get to the place where the men are going to go into their house at the end of the journey, and it's nighttime, and Jews did not travel uh, at nighttime. And Jesus, after hearing all these things, says, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to head along, good talk, knowing that they would have to invite him in their home. It wouldn't have been the right custom if they didn't invite him in. And he says, okay, and he goes in and has dinner, and then he breaks the bread in front of them, and boom, their eyes are open. And they go, oh, it's Jesus. And then, boom, he disappears. The scripture says this. He's gone, vanished. Boom, he's out of there. That's playfulness of Jesus. You can see it. That's an incredibly funny passage as you read, and a powerful one as well. God designed humor. He designed laughter. He designed playfulness. And he wants your family to be involved in those type of activities. So for you, if it's a game night or if it's family vacations, God wants to know how do you play together? How well do you interact? Now, I'm not talking about the vacation where you get somewhere, you know, and everybody in the family goes their separate ways and does their separate things, and you meet back at the very end at the car and you head home. That's not playing together. That's a good time, um, but it's not playing together. God's designed your family to interact well together, to enjoy one another. Last week, um, we it was on Labor Day, and we were planning on getting in the car and going. We were, we were actually thinking about driving all the way to the beach just for the day, and then we had all the rain. You know the rain that was forecast 100% that didn't come to about 6 o'clock? Uh, we could have got to the beach and back in that time. But we ended up over at the Little League field at these little tiny t-ball fields playing wiffle ball as a family. And that hour, hour and a half, we were playing wiffle ball as a family. It was an incredible amount of fun that we had just playing together. Uh, and by the way, I did hit the most home runs in our family too, so I just want to make sure that's, that's said in case you want to console my kids who I don't let up on at all. It's playing together. Finally, let's talk about uh, this last one here on your sheet. The final one is this, and it's significant. Healthy families get the needed help. In your family, if you have something you need help on, you've got to get that help. Here's kind of the model for families. Uh, we deal sometimes in these difficulties throughout the week where maybe there's even violent conversation that goes on throughout the week. There might be a disconnected parent who's not much involved in the life of their kids and the kid deals with it all through the week. There might be a, a complete brokenness in the marriage where 
in public it looks good, but in private there's not a lot of relational interaction going on there. Maybe during the week there's, there's difficulty or even a level of abuse that happens. And then on Sunday morning we all clean up and we get on some nice clothes and we show up and for an hour and a half there is the best mask you could ever put on and all of us look and say, man, that's just such a great family. And then you go back and deal with that throughout the rest of the week. It's not every family, but it happens. And God's Word is telling us we need to get the help that is needed, to get the help that's necessary. Meaning if there's something in your family that you haven't as a family been able to coordinate and work out and fix, it's time to get the help that's necessary. That we don't deal with it and live with it week in and week out and just think, well, time will make it better and it'll be fine. But we find help. The Bible tells us in Hebrew 6.1, therefore let us leave elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Now that's a verse you may know, and often when we hear a verse like that, we over-spiritualize that type of verse, meaning we only think of this in a spiritual think. Go on to maturity. I need to spend more time in my daily devotion. I need to read the scripture just a tad longer. Maybe I need to pray a bit longer. All those things are outstanding. But going on to maturity is how well do we apply God's word? Applying it and seeking help is important, that we need to go on and learn and grow and in our families, we need a ton of help. Andy Stanley writes a book a few years back called Choosing to Cheat. And in that book, I was, I was, encouraged, I was, I was interested in the title. That's why I got the book. And in the book, he talks about these four areas that we deal with. And the book is designed towards men, but it, it can work in our families uh, either way. And these four areas of our life are like our job, uh, they're our family, uh, there are our friends in our hobby and then maybe our ministry as well if we're involved in serving somewhere. And in these four areas, he said, often our daily lives look like these four things button up and pushing against each other. Are you with me? You understand that? All right, makes sense, right? In these four areas of our life, they often push against each other. Family time kind of pushing against work time and work, work time pushing against hobby time or, or uh, ministry that you'd like to squeeze in there and serve because you know that's important is pushing against this. And he says at some point in time, you're going to have to cheat one of those four to accomplish the other three, right? You're going to have to cheat. And meaning cheat, meaning you're going to have to kind of cut out early, or you're going to have to say, you know, I can't get that done. I just can't do it. And in that area, he, said, he, he talks about ways that you, you know, you cheat home and or cheat work, and, and uh, basically means that you're limiting some of those areas so that you can take care of the other areas. The premise of the book is this. Don't cheat the family. Don't cheat the family. Meaning, there's only one of those four that will stand with you month after month, year after year. It is your family. They'll put up with that type of difficulty for a long time, not getting help, dealing with, with struggles. Your work won't put up with it. A few days of that and you're done and you're gone probably from your work. Your friends probably won't put up there. They, they'll just go find another group of friends. Your ministry probably won't put up with it. They'll find another leader that they have to instill uh, into that spot. But your family will put up with it month after month, year after year, and then they'll hit a breaking point where a member of the family, somebody says, look, this is not working. Can't take this anymore. We're out. Or you show up, as the book describes, and the bags are packed. Everybody's but yours. Get the help needed is what is what the point is here. 
is that we need to not cheat the family on what needs to be built into the family. Time with our kids, with our spouse. Help, maybe it's even counseling and those type of things that need to come along, but getting the help that's necessary. How are you doing in that area? Look at your card. How are you doing? Do you feel like, man, help is, we pretty much just figure everything out on our own. Or do you say, you know, we're really working well at getting the help necessary? Above all, in these, in these seven that we've talked about this, this morning, the biggest key that help any family is when we choose to dedicate our family to God. It's dedicating and saying, God, whatever you have for us, if I understand or not, that's the path I want to follow. And so as we close uh, our, our time this morning, it's so appropriate that we have a family that's, that's ready to do that this morning with, with their young ones. So I want to invite the, the Martins family to come up. You guys would. All those that would like to come and be involved, come on up.